Amen. As you're being seated, if you have a Bible, grab it. Uh, if you do not have a Bible and you want one, just slip up your hand and one of our uh, host team members will, uh, will give you one. Anybody doesn't have a Bible that wants one? I'm going to read from two different passages. One is in 1 Corinthians 15 and the other one is in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, you know, today's a wonderful day. As we've already been saying it's a day to celebrate. And what... We get the idea of celebrating, don't we? We have within our very natures a desire to celebrate something. Uh, I don't know if you're a basketball fan like me. I happen to, uh, to think that uh, the NBA playoffs are very exciting. And this year, uh, if you're not a basketball fan, um, just so you know, this is an exciting series, maybe more than it has been in years past. And, and yesterday, uh, as I was ironing our family's clothes to get ready for church, uh, that's the truth. You can ask my wife. Um, I was watching the Portland Trailblazers play against the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, I don't know, any basketball fans in here? Okay, so did you all see this game last night? Uh, basically, the Trailblazers were about to lose, and uh, Brandon Roy, who's had a fairly uh, a difficult year, steps up and has an incredible game. Well, I'm ironing, celebrating. I'm like, every, every stroke of that iron, I'm like, yes! I mean, we have, I mean, that didn't make sense to some of y'all, but some of you it does. Uh, can I get an amen, at least from a few people? It was where, Okay, all right, good. Uh, maybe you understand celebrating uh, some of you that like to shop. Uh, and it's not just females. This isn't gender specific. Some of you like to shop and you celebrate a good deal. Maybe you're one of those kind of people that if you get a new shirt uh, and you got a good deal on it, if somebody says to you, hey, I like that shirt, what's the first thing you say? I, I got this for $3 at Target, you know? It's like, I didn't ask you where you got it. I just said I liked it. Loser. Um, and, uh, or, or maybe, maybe, you know, one thing that's funny as we've approached this Sunday, people have celebrated. I had several people send me messages as to, as to where they got their Easter eggs for a really great deal. They were celebrating that you can get four dozen East plastic Easter eggs for $1.50 at Walgreens or something, you know. And we get this idea of celebrating. Um, we celebrate this week because one in our little fledgling church had a child just a couple days ago. Uh, uh, Jesse and Brittany Outlaw had little Everly. In fact, we have a picture of her. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Jesse is here, actually. Where is Jesse? Is he here? Right here. <laughs> a little glossy eyed. Uh, it gets easier. Um, <laughs> So we celebrate, we celebrate with you because and, 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 we love you, right? And, and um, um, we celebrate. You get this idea of celebrating. Yesterday we celebrated Andrew and Susan's uh, uh, child, Billy's first birthday, which is always fun. You know, on their first birthday, if you have children, you get this. On their first birthday, they don't have the concept in their mind yet that there's multiple presents. And so they get that one, and then they're just fixated on it. So the whole time you're trying to get them to go number two and three and four, Good news, from now on, he'll know there are more than one, so here's what he'll do. He'll celebrate the reception of that one, and he'll put it aside quickly, <laughs> you know, and then go on to the next one, and then he'll be at the end and ask for more. So um, it's kind of the American way. We celebrate so much in our life, things that are more, <clears throat> things that are even a little more serious. Like in our family, we're, we are in a season where we're celebrating having four children, and um, we, of course, just had our fourth just a couple of months ago. We're celebrating the fact that our oldest can now read, which is really, really a lot of fun, uh, except for 
Uh, now Jeannie and I have no way of communicating that he can't understand, you know. So we've actually recently started using Pig Latin uh, to talk, and he can't quite figure that out. But anyway, we're celebrating with him. All of you have things in your lives you're celebrating. You're celebrating uh, an achievement by somebody in your, in your family or maybe your favorite sports team or maybe something that's happened to you in business. You celebrate a pay raise or maybe a new relationship, a new, a new contract. And we get this idea of celebrating, but it's interesting because what you would celebrate, I might not be inclined to celebrate. What I would celebrate, as evidenced by my basketball illustration, some of you do not care about. It's not a big deal to you that Brandon Roy basically carried his team to a victory last night against the Dallas, the hated Dallas Mavericks. Um, the, the, you, you, sell, you might celebrate something else, but let me tell you one wonderful thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every person alive has reason to celebrate because it has nothing to do with preference. It has to do with truth. It has to do with that there was an event in history that happened, and it's reasonable to believe that it happened with our minds, but But for those of us that confess Jesus as Lord, we believe that it goes beyond the reasonability of our minds and our capacity to think that it happened to our hearts. It sinks down in our hearts. We believe that God became flesh and lived as a man with the attributes of a God and then went to a cross. And in this mysterious exchange, our sin was put on him and he suffered the wrath that we deserve. And in this mysterious exchange, what we get is the righteousness of God. This is the gospel we preach. This is the message we proclaim. And it's not our message. It's been passed down to us for thousands of years. We're a part of something bigger. One wonderful thing about Neartown Church is I never think about it's us against the world. I mean, we've got 100 people and we're against the world. No, we're a part of something that God's doing in the world. And right now, all over the nation. And today, all over the world, people will gather and proclaim that Jesus is risen. So this is what we're doing. So I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you're there. And it's a place in the scriptures where one who, uh, by the name of Paul, proclaimed the message that we proclaim. And I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to read just a few verses here and talk about this message that we proclaim that Jesus is risen. So... 1 Corinthians 15. At the end of the reading of the scripture, we did something. Uh, we say, may God bless the reading of your word, uh, his word. So if, uh, if you feel comfortable doing that, please do. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 is where we'll begin. Paul, talking to the Corinthians, says uh, in regard to the resurrection of Christ, For I delivered to you, verse 3 there, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And what he's saying is that I've been handed a message, and it's what I've delivered to you, Corinthians. Here's the message. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, this phrase, in accordance with the Scriptures, uh, it's talking about the prophet's and the writings of the Old Testament talking about uh, a prophesying that there would be a day that a Messiah would come and die on the cross. So he's saying that this is all according to God's plan that's been from the beginning. 
So um, verse 5, and that he, being Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to, to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or have died. Then he appeared to James, then all to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. It's interesting because just a few verses later, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, then the claims of Christianity are void. We're wasting our time. It's interesting to know that even before his own death, Jesus said that he would die on a cross and be raised from the dead. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, talking about Jesus and his disciples, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, here's what he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But the disciples did not understand, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So my question for today is, is it reasonable to believe that Jesus was actually raised from the dead? If even Paul, a biblical author, says that there is no resurrection, there is no faith, then is it reasonable to believe? And this is actually a part of a series I've been doing uh, where we talk about the reasonability of our faith. And if you're interested, you're new and you're interested in listening to these sermons, uh, you can go online to near10church.org and scroll down to about the middle of the page and you can listen to all these sermons I've done where I talk about the reasonability of our faith. In our brains, is it reasonable to believe that the Bible is uniquely God's Word? If not, then we shouldn't count it as being authoritative. Is it reasonable to believe that God even exists? If He doesn't exist, then how in the world can we consider Him to be a being who revealed Himself in the form of a man named Jesus and gave us the Scriptures? Uh, but if he is, it changes everything. Is it reasonable to believe that Jesus is who we think he is and who he says he was? But today we ask the question, is it reasonable to believe, I mean, with our brains, is it reasonable to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Many of us in here believe it in our hearts, right? We've been told it. Maybe some of you have grown up in the church, not all of you. You have been told it throughout the course of your life, and so you maybe believe it for that reason. But there's just something in you that just is moved to believe, okay? That's called the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So, um, but we must ask the question, is it reasonable in our intellect to believe? Let's not be lazy thinkers. Okay, so I want to give you, I, I believe that it's reasonable to believe. That Jesus, died, that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. So I want to give you four reasons why I believe that's true. And if it is true, it changes everything. It changes everything. Now, I will say I do not rely on this sort of these, these, um, this stream of consciousness or this, these logical arguments to convince you because I do not think that's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to proclaim it and God's responsibility to persuade you. But I think there are four reasons we can believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. All right, you ready? Here, first of all, uh, the movement that we know as Christianity exploded in the first century. And so uh, what we now um, know is worldwide, is global, this faith in Jesus as the Christ, the one who died for sins and was raised from the dead. Well, it began 2,000 years ago in this little city called Jerusalem where the religion of the day was Judaism. And, um, and we know that it spread even beyond Jerusalem 
because there are reports of it growing rapidly. And it became an issue, so much so that they, they made it illegal to be a Christian because it was perceived as being uh, a group of infidels, a group of people that were rebelling against the, Roman, the worship of the Roman emperor. And so there, there is a, there's a story in history. This is, not, this is outside the Bible. There's a story in history where this Roman governor called Pliny the Younger uh, wrote a letter to the emperor about 50 years or so after Jesus was raised from the dead. And his, his request of the emperor was counsel because he was having a problem because the Christians were growing rapidly. Every social class, every gender, every type of person was believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was exploding. And he had a problem with it. He didn't know what to do with these people that had been accused of Christianity. So this fledgling movement moved from Jerusalem to Rome to throughout the world. The fastest growing Christian churches in America today are not in America, actually. I'm sorry, the fastest growing Christian churches in the world today are not in America. They are in the East. They're in Africa and Asia. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people are believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me ask you this. Is it reasonable to believe that they believe it because it's true? Did those early human beings with brains just like yours and mine believe it because they heard the message of people that had seen the risen Christ after they saw him being crucified? So the movement exploded in the first century, which is evidence. If uh, he had not been raised from the dead, it's reasonable to believe that it would just kind of petered out. Nothing would have happened, but instead it exploded. It changed the world. The second reason I think it's reasonable to believe, the disciples believed he was raised from the dead. And what we must consider about the disciples, you know who the disciples are? They're like his, uh, Jesus uh, had this close group of companions, they followed his teaching, they kind of adopted his way of life. Well, whenever Jesus got in trouble, was arrested and crucified, the disciples were nowhere to be found. In fact, one of his closest disciples, there was three of the 12 that were the closest, uh, Peter, James, and John. Peter uh, denied him three times publicly. This is how devout they were to him and how courageous. And they, were, they, were, they were weak, weak men, really. In the last hour, they were nowhere to be found. If there was no resurrection, then it's reasonable to believe that these men would have just gone back to their fishing business or, or whatever their vocation was before following Jesus. But fast forward just for a moment to just a short period of time after Jesus was raised from the dead. The disciples, some of them, saw him in the flesh. They saw the scars in his wrists. They saw that he was raised from the dead. And they believed it so deeply that, that 10 uh, out of the 11 disciples tradition tells us, were martyred for their faith. They believed it so deeply, they died for it. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was skewered. John was boiled in oil. So what turned these cowards into heroes? Could it be that they saw a risen Jesus? A third reason that uh, we believe that it is reasonable to claim that Jesus was raised from the dead. The tomb was empty. The place where Jesus was taken after he was crucified was empty. He was wrapped like a mummy and placed in this solid rock tomb. 
There was a rock rolled as in front of it, of the opening as a door, and they say the rock would have weighed somewhere around one and a half tons. The Romans um, had guards around the tomb. They didn't want anybody to prevent it. They knew that this man, Jesus, was a revolutionary. They didn't want anybody to steal the body, either as friends or as enemies. They didn't want it to happen. But just three days later, they found the tomb empty. The only thing in the tomb were the grave clothes. There are some of you, you may be skeptical as to whether or not this is really true. There are people still that deny that the empty tomb means that Jesus was raised from the dead. They say things like this, well, his friends stole the body. Which, think about that. His weak, cowardly male friends, are they going to be the ones to steal the body? They're going to be the ones to overpower the guards? It's unreasonable. The women, maybe? Are they going to be the ones to overpower the guards? It's, it's unlikely. Well, maybe his enemies stole the body. But don't you think if the enemies had stole the body, then whenever these men started saying that he was raised from the dead, that they would have shown, no, he wasn't raised from the dead. Here are his bones in his rotting flesh. Some have even come up with a theory that Jesus did not actually die. He just went unconscious. It's called the swoon theory, which is... is is the most unreasonable of all of them. I mean, these Romans, they knew how to crucify. This penalty of death was severe. The final blow for him was a spear in the side where the fluids on his inside poured out. He was dead. And, and to think that he was unconscious after that, rolled, put into this tomb, and after it being sealed up, that somehow he would have been revived by the air in the tomb is ridiculous. What's reasonable to believe is that he was raised from the dead. That the Jesus who was crucified laid in that grave. The story did not end, but God declared authority over sin, God the Father, by raising him from the dead. And if you need another reasonable argument, maybe consider this. Just after he was raised from the dead, he appeared to people for a period of 40 days after his death. Sometimes one or two people saw him, sometimes a larger number, the, as many as the 11 apostles. Uh, if you remember, there's 11 at this point because Judas betrayed him. And, uh, or as many as 500, men as well as women. And we read about that in the Bible, which we know is an accurate historical document based on uh, the reasonable um, logic I gave you a couple weeks ago. Is it reasonable to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Yes, it is. This is what we proclaim. This is what we celebrate. This is why we gather in his name. John Stott, who is a very respected uh, uh, religious figure, says this, Christianity is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. Remove it and Christianity is destroyed. So, so, this is what we proclaim. But you may have a question like I do, and I, I'm kind of that uh, wiring where I like to ask this question sometimes when I hear something that's true. Um, so what? That's a fair question, right? Like, so what? So he was raised from the dead. So what? What does this mean? Well, if you have your Bibles, flip over to the book of First Peter. Here's your so what. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. What does the resurrection do for us? I mean, practically, if we think it's reasonable to believe, and in our hearts we believe, 
What does it mean for us? Like tomorrow, when you've got to get up and go to work, or you've got to get up and go to school, or you've got to get up and, and try to figure out how you're going to pay the bills, or kind of move on with your life. So what? Is this just a truth that stands independent of our lives that some people believe and some people don't? The people that believe will go to heaven. The people that don't will go to hell. End of story. I mean, so what? What does it mean in this life that Jesus was raised from the dead? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us so what. Peter is writing to this group of Christians that are struggling. They're suffering in the, in, for a variety of circumstances. Here's what he says to them to encourage them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. What does the word mercy mean? It means that God doesn't give us something that we do deserve. By putting the wrath on Jesus at the cross instead of us, this is his demonstration of mercy to us. He's not given us his wrath, those of us that are in Christ, that won't give us his wrath, but instead he's been merciful to us. He's put it on Jesus. So according to his great mercy... He has caused us, he's called us, he's, he's given us that still small voice in our heart where we believe it's true. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So what? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and what this gives you is a living hope. A living hope, not a dead hope. You know, a dead hope, are, are the, these are the things that, that provide a temporary sense of excitement. We, we celebrate temporarily. But one thing about these things that we celebrate temporarily, oftentimes they leave us wanting. They leave us forgetting what it was like to even be excited because we received those. And this deal last night about the basketball game with Brandon Roy, I mean, I was excited and I celebrated it in the moment, but now, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not like I'm, um, after today, I won't talk about it very much. I mean, we celebrate uh, the fact that uh, babies were born, but there'll be a day when, when you're like, why in the world did I have a child? Um, and, um, you know, but so it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And, and, and if we place our ultimate hope in things like sports or other people or maybe, um, uh, you know, anything that we, we temporarily, food maybe is one for you. Um, it's one I have to str- I struggle with all the time, finding too much satisfaction or hope in, in that feeling of a good meal. Um, if we place our hope in those things, they're fleeting. They're temporarily satisfying. It's temporarily worth celebrating. But what we believe is the good news of the Bible is that Jesus was raised from the dead, giving us a living hope, one that is steady and constant and true. And its best hour, this living hope, is when we struggle. That's when, it, that's when it's proven the most wonderful and worthy of celebration. It's when we struggle and when we have a hard week or a hard day or a hard hard season of our lives. This is our hope in the midst of it. It's the only thing that stays steady and true through it all, that we have a living hope and his name is Jesus. 
And her living hope here is described as an inheritance. And the inheritance in the Bible meant a lot to, lot to those early readers. They, they would have thought, like in the Old Testament, of an inheritance as in you receive the piece of land or your, your father's property. They would get this idea of inheritance. But what Peter's telling them is that through Jesus Christ, here's your inheritance. A living hope that says to you that you're being guarded through your faith by God. And there will be a day where all that's broken will be restored. This is our hope. I mean, in the midst of it is we're having to deal with all the junk in our lives. Um, we have hope knowing that there will be a day when all that's broken will be restored. And we'll struggle through it. We'll keep our eyes on Jesus. We'll stay faithful. But what Peter puts before them as, as evidence of the living hope is the truth that through our faith in Jesus as the living hope, that God will save. This is the message of the Bible. And this is the proclamation of Neartown Church. Some of you are kind of like looking for churches or maybe you're trying to figure out what you're going to really give yourself to. And you've been to a variety of different churches. And, and um, some of, many of you I don't know. I, my experience is to come from a very large church that has lots of resources. It's a wonderful place. I mean, it really is. And so maybe that's your experience. And you've been in a church with a lot of stuff and resources and, and, and but so you're like, okay, who is Near Town Church? Here here's here's Near Town Church. We we are simply on a mission to invite busy people, people that are lives are chaotic and sort of sort of just going, going, going. We're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And the message we proclaim is one that, that God became flesh. He lived and experienced the same things we do, yet did not sin, died for our sin was raised from the dead, and this gives us living hope. We live with this passion. We live believing this. We believe that it can not only affect where we go on, for an hour on Sunday morning, but it affects every hour of our life. And in the midst of our greatest difficulty, our greatest struggle, we, don't, we, we, we preach a message that says don't look for satisfaction in other things, but look for it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is the message we proclaim. This is who we are as Neartown Church. And this is why we celebrate. 